0: Would you open God's precious Holy Word to First Peter chapter one, and we're going to look at verses eight and nine. And the what we're going to extract here, these uh, what five principles, five things, are applicable as well. Maybe six things are applicable as well for us fathers who are leaders in our homes. And these are are basic tenets of being a Christian, really. And every one of these points should apply to our lives and should also be what we are teaching our children. Now, though unseen, Peter's writing to the scattered elect who are across what we know of as Turkey today. He's writing to give them hope. They are under the persecution of Nero, the horrible Roman Caesar, whose job was to destroy Christianity They're outcasts in their society, difficult to get work. So they're suffering, but they have hope. They have hope unlike what the world may think it has. So Peter's writing to them about that hope. Now in verse seven, just to reflect on verse seven. He spoke to them about how they have hope in a future reward. What they are enduring presently will bring a wonderful future reward. But they are suffering in the here and now. We know we have a future. We, we know that time's coming. And maybe by death, maybe by rapture, by resurrection. But what about Now? We have hope now. And that hope is built not only on the hope of a future reward, the knowledge of a future reward, but on a present relationship that we have with Jesus Christ. Peter explains that to the uh, believers who are scattered. And so there are six things. Whom having not seen? Here's the first thing. We are taught in the Bible, he, what well, he's writing to people who have never seen Christ. Peter had seen him. There might be a tiny portion of these people, I don't know, but apparently not, because he addresses the whole bunch. And he says to them, you haven't seen him. You and I are in that uh, same condition today as Christians. Much further removed from the physical presence of Christ in the days of his ministry on earth as recorded in the gospels than they were. They were receiving a direct letter from the apostle himself who many think of as the chief of the apostles. Very important man in Christianity, but they had never seen Christ. And so Peter says, I know you haven't seen him, but that doesn't make you second-class Christians. As a matter of fact, it does just the opposite because Christ said, uh, John 20, you remember doubting Thomas? He said, I won't believe. He wasn't there when Jesus came and appeared after his resurrection the first time. I won't believe unless I see him and touch him and feel his wounds on the side and his hands. Well, a little bit later, Jesus appeared and Thomas was there. And he said, reach forth and touch me. Look at my hands and consider the wound in my side. And he collapsed and said, my Lord and my God, Jesus responded, Thomas, you're blessed because you have seen me and you believe how much more blessed are those who have never seen me and yet still believe we're given a very special blessing by Christ. Those of us who have not seen him because those who haven't seen him in the age of the church are far more than those who did see him physically. We haven't seen him, but that doesn't make us any less of a Christian. And it doesn't mean that who we are in Christ is any less or what we feel in Christ And what we experience in Christ is any less. Jesus prayed in John 17. And after he prayed for his disciples, this was right before they come to arrest him, take him to the cross. Right after he prayed for his disciples, he then prayed for those who would believe through their word. Now, he promised them in John 14 through 16 that the Holy Spirit, would, the Comforter, would come and would bring to remembrance all these things that happened. And the apostles gave to us the foundation, they, they gave to us the, the letters of the New Testament. And so, in that sense, believers ever since then to this day have believed in Christ through their word the testimony that they laid in the early days of the church right after the resurrection of Christ. So here you and I are in what surely must be the fading days of history. Probably, in my view, the last days of the church on earth. We're so far removed from the time when Jesus walked on this earth, how much more blessed are we? He is as real to me, and I know he, if you're in Christ, He's the same way to you. He's with you. You can, you can feel His presence, and you can know that He's there. His word is true. How many times has He brought me through valleys and dangerous places because of his I've never seen him I've never seen him physically but I've seen him in my heart and I have known that he has been with me all of my life in faith in my faith in him So, first thing that we understand about Christianity is that we know that Jesus Christ is an unseen presence. He is as real to those of us who are in Christ because of the presence of the Holy Spirit, because of the the great effect of the Word of God in our lives. Because of the hand of God, the work of God, born again, regenerated, we know that Christ is our great king who is coming again to finally establish a rule of righteousness in this world. We know that he's our elder brother in in the Old Testament. The oldest son would receive the inheritance But what was written into that was that he would always be the caretaker and sometimes if he had to be even the savior in a a temporal sense of his brothers and sisters. So we know that the Bible speaks of Christ as our elder brother. Of course, he is our savior. He has saved us from the wrath of God. We're saved From God's wrath through our faith because of what He did for us on the cross. He took it on Himself. I know this is true. I've never seen Him physically, but I have sensed His presence such that He was more than real to me. If you are in Christ, you would have that same testimony. That he's real. He prayed for me in John 17. Those who had not yet believed, but would believe someday on the word of the New Testament, he prayed for me that the Father would care for me and protect me. And I have lived my Christian life studying and believing the word and growing stronger and stronger in faith and in my dependence upon him and in my confidence. Though I've not seen him. He has protected me. He has sustained me. He has carried me through difficult situations that I thought were unsolvable. But he carried me through it. He is an unseen presence. If you're in Christ, you understand what I'm talking about. That Jesus Christ, the son of God is an unseen presence. And that I have the greater blessing in a sense that I've never seen him and this is what Christ said about it. How much more blessed are those who have never seen? Number two, abiding love. Whom having not seen you love on that one whom you have not seen or are not seeing now the word love listen to this in the present active that means that it's always there never stops in the greek text that word in the it's a, a gapate. it's in that in that in that form of the word of the verb it is an unending love it is always present Let me tell you something about Christianity. It is first and foremost. Now, it's it's of course worship, and it is of course uh, theological persuasion and growing in the truth of the Scriptures. All of that's important, but it is first and foremost a love affair between Christ and His Church. Not just collectively the Church, but individually. We are in love with Christ. And the Bible speaks of that love. Back over, I see in John 8, the, the Pharisees were arguing with him. We're the sons of Abraham, so forth and so on. And Jesus said to them, they said, we know the, Abraham, we know the Father. Jesus, said, Jesus corrected. He said, no. If you knew the Father, you would love me. Because I'm from the Father. That is a heavy statement. Here's what Jesus said. You cannot consider yourself a follower of me if you don't love me. Now this is the agape love. You remember the word up there? It is the self-sacrificial highest form of love. The love of God in Christ and we love him, according to First John, we love him because he first loved us. Paul wrote to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians, I think chapter, what, 16 or so. He said, if you do not love Christ, you are accursed. John, under the inspiration of Christ himself, wrote to the seven churches in the Revelation, And the first one of them was the church at Ephesus. Christ goes through this list of things that he appreciated about them. But then he ended it with this. But I have this against you. You have abandoned your first love, you have abandoned your primary love. Repent and do the first works, or I will remove your lampstand. Now, the lampstand is, it illustrates the church itself. Seven lampstands, seven churches, to shine light in an otherwise dark place. Christ reiterated in the revelation the importance of our love for him You love your wife, you love your husband, you would do anything, and even to the point of death. You would substitute yourself into any thing that was contrary to the life of your spouse whom you love. For your children you have such love for your children. It's undying, and unending, and you would do anything for your wife or your husband or your children. Anything. Nothing is too great. Even death. It's that kind of love. The question is, do you love Christ like that? You really, are, you, are you willing to be uncomfortable for him? We live in a day where true Christians are going to be discomfited because of modern persuasions and intimidations. We shouldn't be intimidated. Christ is the son of God. So then, do you love him that much? Do you love him or do you think of him all the time just like you would your family? Always thinking about the best thing for the wife, the husband, the children, always wanting to do the best thing, investing yourself in the deepest kind of way. Is it at least that way with Christ? It must be. It must be, or you are accursed. The kind of love that is self sacrificial love. That's the word that's used here in the Greek text when Peter wrote it out originally. You love him though you haven't seen him present active in the Greek text and abiding ongoing unending love it will carry me through life my love for Christ will carry me through life it'll carry me through death it'll carry me into heaven It will take me into eternity and I will into the ages of the ages have a love that can only grow when I see more and more of who he is and what he has done for me. Love. He is figured into every day. Anyone that you love is figured into every day, daily living. What is best for the one whom I love? He goes on, he says, You love on whom, though not seeing, believing. That again is in the present active. It just keeps going and going, never stops. It's trust. Christ gives us instructions. His word tells us how to live, how to respond, how we can repent, confess, be forgiven, be strengthened, and be more than we were before, to have faith. In Christ, to have this unmitigated trust, this trust that will never diminish, that will only grow, this faith, believing. Hebrews 11 defines faith. It is the assure, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. That for which I hope is just as real to me as today is. What he has promised me, though it has not happened yet, will happen and this is my faith. I have no doubt about it, just as real as what is happening to me today. And I am convicted that all who he is and all that he will do and do for me is real, though I don't see it. That's what faith is. This is believing. I may have told this story. It's one of my favorite stories on not faith. (laughs) I was in a quartet. We were headed out to a church close to the Alabama-Georgia line. So we got off of a two-lane highway onto a broad Dirt road, and then onto a narrow dirt road, headed for this church. We were in a big forty-one hundred one bus. We all had our bunk beds, and we had all this stuff in there, you know. In the bays below, we had all our equipment, speakers. In those days, man, speakers were would fill the drum. Room over there. Big, huge things. So we had. Oh, let's see. I don't know if you were with us on that one or not. You know, woo! You don't remember that one? Okay. <laughs> a church had a happy lady <laughs> in it. And she, she really liked fast gospel songs. Um, so we came to a bridge that was about 20 feet and it was a wooden bridge, had no rails, no cover. It was just, I guess, maybe what, two by six? I don't know, I'm not good at that. Obviously, it was old, it had been traveled and there was a creek that ran under it and I don't know what the beams were that held up the cross, but I don't know. Walter was driving the bus He eased up to the edge of that bridge. Now we're in this big bus. Larry Beck was the guy who sang baritone in our quartet. He said, Larry, he was the one closest to the door. He opened the door, he said, Larry, step out there and walk across that bridge and tell me if this bus is going to make it. Larry hopped off the bus, walked across quickly to the other side Stood around and said. Going to make it Walter. Well come on get back in the bus. Let's go. No. I'll, I'll just. I'll just get on the bus. When you've crossed. The bridge. Now he gave lip service to his faith. You understand that. He really didn't think the bus was going to make it. And so we. You know, went across those planks, and we made it to the other. Obviously, I'm here today. We made it to the other side and even back across. No, it's okay. I'm already over here. Just come on and get me. Leave that door open. <laughs> I'll never forget that. He wasn't really truthful about his level of faith and trust in the bus. Well, it's different for the Christian. There is nothing. There is no divide too great. There is no mountain too high, no valley too deep, no, no ocean whose winds and waves are too strong and too high that he will not carry us through. I trust him. I am like Job. That's the first the first writing author of a, of a Bible book. Job is the oldest chronologically, the oldest book, Bible. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. What he means to me is beyond life. It's more than life. It's everlasting life. This is our belief, our faith. It is unending. It is abiding with us. It never stops. Number four. The inexpressible joy in our lives. Whom having not seen you love, on whom though not you not seeing believing, you exult or rejoice. With inexpressible joy and filled with glory. (laughs) We were speaking of that same night. We made it to the church. And there was a little lady. About five, nothing, four, and 11. Were you, you weren't there. Well, I'll be. You missed it. She weighed about 80 pounds, maybe, or 75. But she made more noise than 10 other people. She was happy. Happy. And her thing was to run around and find a victim. (laughs) And she would leap, I'm not kidding you. She would leap in the air and land in your lap and go, Woo! So we all put, you know, all the women are putting their purses in their laps, and I had hymnals in my lap. And <laughs> you didn't want to be a victim. There is an inexpressible joy. We can't explain it. What is the best thing that I can do? I can say, you know, here's what I've learned through the years as a Christian reading the Bible. That before the foundation of the world. The father gave me to the son. And I don't know why. And he wrote my name in the Lamb's book of life. Before the foundation. Before there were blueprints. Before there was time and space. In a a realm that I cannot understand. And probably will never understand. It's the place of God. And then he created everything. And. Sin was found in a third of the angels. They fell even before man was created. My name's still in that book. And so things kept going because there was an eternal covenant between the Father and the Son that included me. I don't know why. And the man and the woman were made and they fell the fall of mankind the fall of Adam the fall of man listen when, I fell, when Adam fell I fell because I was in Adam but that did not in any way Deter the completion of the covenant made between the father and the son. Because in the due course of time he was made in the fashion of a man born of woman in due season. And at the appropriate moment he carried me in himself To the cross. And in what he did, he did for me. He put away my fallen sinful condition. It was gone. And in his dead body he carried me into the tomb. And on the third day he was raised again, and I was raised with him redeemed me he has given me strength and life and direction he has given me happiness and joy when i reflect upon fallen man and the final judgment that will fall upon those who are unrepentant and note that they are cast into the lake of fire finally forever, there to be tormented forever and ever and ever. According to the Bible, but I have been chosen and even redeemed That I might live with him forever. I go to prepare a place for you. He said that to me. And if I go and prepare a place for you. I will come again and receive you to myself. So that where I am there you may be also. I am not happy in this world. With its affairs. That are tearing down the existence. The creation that God has made. But I am happy in Christ. And I rejoice as the more I study it and the more I reflect upon it, the more I pray about it and think about it more and more how happy I am that he saved me. That he called me to himself according to a covenant that he made with his son and his son made good on his Part of the covenant and redeemed me. And I've been bought by the blood of the lamb. This is what he, you think I'm not happy. Heaven is my home. Christ is my savior and my king and I trust him. And I have faith in him. Again, to refer to Job, the oldest of the writers. I know my kinsman redeemer lives. and Even though the skin worms may destroy my flesh, yet in my flesh I will see him and behold him and not another. It's personal, I will see him. it will be me and it will be him, because he is my kinsman redeemer. This makes me happy. And I rejoice in the knowledge of the salvation that is mine through Jesus Christ, our Lord. the whole thing. It's inexpressible, this joy. This peace, this comfort, this joy. It's unexplainable, really. How I feel in Christ and all of those who are in Christ. Such joy and peace. Number five. Receiving the outcome or promised consummation of your faith. assurance. Blessed assurance. This I know will come to pass. I'm headed for it. The road is rough and rocky. And the farther I go in life, the more I realize how much difficulty it is to face this world as a Christian. That will only worsen until the return of Christ. But I have this assurance I was saved. I was sanctified. I'm being saved. And I shall be saved the final salvation of my soul. And in this, I have blessed assurance. If I hang up on a word, you help me here. I haven't sung these hymns in so long. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchased of God, born of his spirit, washed in his blood. This is my story, this is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. All the way to the end of it. To the end of it. And then to the eternity of it. All the way. Blessed assurance. The promised outcome, the consummation of my faith, which will, number six, lead me into the final salvation of my soul. Resurrection. Glorification. A new heaven and a new earth to live and experience personally the presence of God into the ages of the ages of the ages without end continually growing in my knowledge of God what a thrilling Prospect that is to learn everything that I can in one age, and then it gives to the next age. The the Greek word is used in the plural, so there's age after age after age in eternity. And just when I have completed and fulfilled my existence in that one, then lo, he gives to us a new age. We're birth same new heaven, new earth. Don't get me wrong. It's just the growth of who we are, and it never stops. It never stops. The joy becomes exponentially greater. I will have joy then that I cannot understand now, and it will grow and grow. Whom, having not seen, you loved, on whom now, though not seeing, believing. You rejoice with inexpressible joy filled with glory. Receiving the promised consummation of your faith. Final salvation of your souls. They were suffering there in that region called Turkey that we call Turkey today. They were poor and they didn't know what to expect of course they were encouraged by the thought of final reward but now they can be encouraged because of a present relationship we have with jesus christ who is with us though unseen would you bow your heads and close your eyes jesus christ is the son of god and he came into this world To save sinners. If you're without Christ and the call of God comes upon you. The word of God says admit that you're a sinner. Believe in Jesus. Call on him to save you. God is bound by his word to save you. Because he called you to himself. On the way out of this room you'll see deacons and wives Standing in the doorways of rooms just across the hall. They are there to pray with you. And to help you understand and to see the salvation that is in Christ. Maybe you're here and God needs you to come be a part of Shiloh. They are prepared to help you with that as well. So now prayerfully would you stand all over this room and we'll be dismissed in prayer.